morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's been a couple of weeks. I've collected your questions and as usual, I am going to be answering them. So thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to Ask Your Dog Guru, this is a great place, an outlet really, for people to ask their canine related questions to somebody who can actually answer them. I am a animal behavior specialist and I actually was a trainer for many, many years specializing specifically in aggression and complex behavior modification. So anywhere, anything from anxiety cases to really complex aggression. But throughout my career, I would do things like um, working with service dogs and um, training behaviors that perhaps were a little bit more complex to learn. And of course, rehabbing any behavior problem that an owner couldn't overcome on their own or especially quirky issues like obsessive compulsive disorders and dogs, things like that. So if you have a question, you can submit it to me a few different ways. So the first way is you can email me directly at askdogguru at gmail.com. Link is in the show notes. In fact, all of the things I'm mentioning will be in the show notes link wise. Second place you can find us is at the Dog Guru Hounds group where you'll find cool articles and other listeners of the show. Third place you can find us is on Instagram. Link is right in the description. And the last and probably the coolest new place that you can find us is patreon.com slash askyourdogguru. Now, this is why I'm bringing this up for a reason because there are going to be live streams, polls, ways to interact with the shows. There's little goodies that only subscription holders can have access to. You get an extra episode a month and early releases. So lots of perks. So you'll definitely want to check that out. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash askyourdogguru for as little as a buck a month. You can be a subscription holder and get access to really cool features in addition to, you know, getting unreleased content that you can find nowhere else and interact with the show and me. I'm super excited about this. This is like my big thing for 2020 because there are a lot of things I want to do with the show, including making videos and creating a world kind of around the listeners. And to help facilitate that, I really need your help. Okay, and last but not least, I want to recommend that wherever you're following us, be sure to follow us at dogguru.podbean.com. You can click follow so you're alerted to all the new episodes. I want to make sure you're following us on our new server. So it's dogguru.podbean.com. That's how you'll get the newest episodes. There are, I don't know, if, if you're new, you may not know this, but... For those of you who have been here since the beginning, you're probably aware that we've that our network has decided to close. And in light of this, we're actually going out on our own. This is actually giving me a tremendous amount of flexibility. For example, now I have availability for advertising. So if you have a dog-related product or a dog-related service and you would like to expose it to my audience, I've got a captive audience of animal lovers. Everybody who listens to the show loves animals. Even if they don't have a dog, they listen. And the one of the easiest ways that you can help me promote the show or just help me grow it is telling, you know, a friend or a family member about it so that they can listen and maybe ask their own canine questions. You know, to the listener, it the show doesn't cost anything to ask a question. You can send them in. I really did this in hopes of giving owners a resource that they could trust and tell me exactly what they would tell me at an appointment if I were in front of them. So I want to continue having that outlet for everybody, but to grow it and make it into a whole different level of interactive show, 
I need your support. Alrighty, those are all the updates I have for you. So let's get to the questions. Hi, Dog Guru, I have a question. Yay! (laughs) Have you ever had a flea issue? And if so, what did you do? I have a long-haired dog, and unfortunately, no matter what I seem to do, we can't get rid of the fleas. Help! All right. Well, (laughs) I have been in your situation, sadly, somewhat recently. I don't know what it is about this year, but I felt like I was, have fought the fleas, almost like they're having an uprising this year. I don't know if this year is just worse, or the weather is just crazier, and... Whatever the reason is, my dogs have even been plagued by fleas this year. So I feel your pain. I kind of had to run the gamut on topicals and ingestibles. And here was my cocktail. I'm not here to bash any company whatsoever, so I'm not going to do that. But what I'm going to tell you is what I did and that I had to keep doing stuff. I tried normal flea pill. Didn't work. Uh, I tried a topical, I tried several topicals actually, and I had to space them out, obviously. I mean, I went on vet recommendations, I went on anecdotal recommendations from other people, and I wasn't the only one experiencing this issue, especially this year. And I think part of the reason was it was too warm and they never died, you know, so we've got them. So once you've got them and they've come into your house, they lay eggs like crazy, So there are a few tips you need to be aware of. Diamectus Earth is really useful. You can find it on Amazon. It's cheap. You can basically spread it around and it kills the fleas and then you can vacuum it up. One of the things that's going to be really important is using your vacuum a lot and then making sure you put the Diamectus Earth in it. So this way it's killing the fleas in your vacuum also. So that's number one. Number two, make sure that whatever dog bedding you have, you're spraying it with something. I'm going to actually tell you what I have been using and I really like it because I've watched it kill a flea. It's called Tropiclean Natural Flea and Tick. It's a dog and bedding spray. Now, I have not used this. I'm going to say this. I haven't used it directly on my dog because I have a dog with sensitive skin. I have a Frenchie, so I'm not going to do that. But... I have seen this work on the dog bedding. I've watched fleas not be able to kind of walk away from it. So I know it works. So I like that. The Diamectus Earth, I would put on your furniture, any like little nooks and crannies, and then wait about an hour or two and then vacuum. Okay. The other thing you want to do is make sure you're on a regular flea and tick preventative. So this way, you know, fleas take time to develop. Three weeks is the life cycle, three, four weeks. One of the things that you have to be super aware of is even if you're killing the live ones, they probably had babies. I know this is super gross to talk about, but I'm giving you a reality check on how hard this could be to be to remove. The other thing you might need to do is hire an exterminator. I say this because the plan I've mentioned to you, the treatment plan I have laid out for you up to this point doesn't work. It probably won't work without ongoing treatment. So, you know, like that, like I said, they need to be on a flea and tick preventative. I would recommend that if your vet isn't aware that you've got an infestation, you let them know. Okay. Because even if you bring your, your, your pet in, they're bringing the fleas with them to the vet's office. Okay. This is important information. Also, if you've already tried other products, you definitely don't want to use the same product over and over and over if you're not seeing any result because 
it's probably, I do think that they are somewhat resistant to flea preventatives. I, I believe that. Also, one of the tricks to it is a lot of them don't kill the flea eggs. So they actually have to bite the dog to die. So if they're just rolling around on your animal and not biting them actively, they're going to be there. That leads me to the last part of the plan, which is a flea dip. And I hate doing this because so many dogs, honestly, you know, their skin can get like flaky after, you can get lots of dry skin. Some of them lose hair. I'm not saying that this is, you know, how it always is, but I did work at a grooming facility. Um, we, we had a dog training program at essentially a kennel with a groom, grooming and boarding facility. And I will tell you, like, to me, a flea dip is kind of serious. So I try and go through all the other steps first. I actually would probably hire an exterminator before I do a flea dip. And the only reason I say that is if they're picking them up outside after the flea dip, they're going to do that again. So we have to like purge the environment. Stray animals coming into your yard or if you have like an outdoor cat, things like that will definitely bring fleas in and it makes it extra difficult. It makes it more difficult to eradicate. So keep all of those things in mind. One last product that I wanted to bring up, um, continuous 360 spray, uh, natural care made with botanical oils, flea and tick spray. It's made with peppermint oil and I really like it because it's not an offensive smell. So I've been spraying my dogs, I, this I do use directly on the dogs, and I've been spraying the dogs with this on an almost daily basis, like before walks and things. But the key to it, for it to work, is you have to spray it regularly, so like daily. So it's a bit of a hassle, but I was desperate because like you, I've been dealing with flea infest, my first flea infestation. In fact, I've had dogs for 15 years and I've never had a flea problem. I've lived all over the country and this is my first real brush with, oh my goodness, they will not go away, flea problem. So I, I feel your pain. I am definitely with you, but these are the things that I would try. Also, there is a 24-hour flea pill. It actually really works for like a solid 15 hours, not really 24 hours, but a solid 15 hours. It takes about an hour to kick in, 30 minutes to an hour to kick in. They're called Capstars, and they have two sizes, one for dogs that are like, I think it's like 65 pounds and over, and then one for any dog size smaller than that. Now, this is an ingestible. So two things, you're going to need to ask your vet about it, and you're going to have to make sure your dog is old enough to ingest it. Like there, for, for example, you can't dose an animal that's under 12 weeks. Like you just can't. So that's something to be mindful of. If you have a puppy at home, you really can't do a lot. Oh, and that reminds me of one other thing that you need to be aware of. Often dogs that have fleas also have worms. You may not be able to see them because they're not going to look like tapeworms, but it's something they could have hookworms, roundworms. So you might want to run a fecal the next time uh, you go to the vet just to make sure that they aren't carrying worms. If you've noticed that it's harder to keep weight on your dog or they're eating insatiably, those are a couple signs. Also dehydration. So if they're drinking a lot more water, that's another sign. But some dogs are just really hardy and you don't, I mean, they eat like cows and you don't necessarily know they have a parasite. So I would recommend running a fecal the next time you go to the vet. So those are a couple products I would highly recommend, which actually leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk to everyone about, which is what I do to maintain a healthier lifestyle for my dogs. So I had a few people over the years 
ask me what sort of things I do to maintain dogs with anxiety um, when I'm addressing issues and I'm trying to kind of fix them, but also not assault their sensibilities. You know, you have to do things in stages, like I say all the time. So with that in mind, there were things that I would do when a new boarder would come in, when I had a dog that was especially difficult to reach. So the first thing I would do is I had a, a sound soother. Now you can get these for people at Bed Bath & Beyond. They're not very expensive, like 10, 15 bucks. You can buy them on Amazon. The ones that make the white noise sounds, the rain sounds, the da-da-da-da. Now these have a lot of useful... Um, I found a lot of uses for the sound soother over the years, but one of my favorite things that I would do with it is if I had a dog that was perhaps really sound sensitive or environmentally sensitive to like thunder, okay? I could use I could put it on white noise to drown out the sound. While I can't change the pressure changes in the air, it would help drown out some of what the dog was experiencing that caused so much stress. Same thing if, you know, they were going to have guests and the dog really isn't good around guests and they do. The dog wasn't at the point in the training where we could start working them around guests for whatever reason. Maybe we had just started working together. Maybe the dog was very easily triggered. Whatever the reason may have been, they need to put the, the dog further away and give it a break or they need the break. I would recommend a sound soother because TVs can sometimes be overstimulating to dogs. Honestly, like a radio is a lot less impact, but if you don't have a radio that you want to flip on, a great second option is a sound soother. And I like the white noise. I don't usually use any water noises because sometimes their ears are so sensitive. It's almost like it doesn't change anything for them. So I use the white noise, wood sound, woodland sounds. So just something to drown out what they're fixated on. Now, again, this doesn't change anything that they feel based on the, the pressure changes if it's a storm. But if you have a bunch of guests and they couldn't possibly have handled that situation well yet, then this is a good way to give them a break and give you a break so you can both enjoy your evening. Another thing that I used to do is make sure that whatever routine, and this is good for if you have a new dog in the house, whether it's a puppy or whether it's a rescue, the best way to get to know your dog is to get them socialized because you don't know what they're really capable of unless you've exposed them to the world. You don't really know what their triggers are. And I'm not saying throw your dog into every poor situation. I'm just saying get them out there, get them around the world and see if there are any things they're afraid of, you know, if they're not and they're super confident, great, but you don't want them to be dominant in public either. So you have to make sure you still have a handle on them. So exposure is very, very important when it comes to having a new dog in the house. And all you need to do to give your dog the proper exposure is just walk them around, just around your neighborhood. That's, that's a lot of exposure. There's a lot of sensory overload that occurs during a walk. So with that in mind, you'll have lots of opportunities to find out well, do they have a prey drive? Do they try and, you know, tree a squirrel? Or are they afraid of large dogs, but not small dogs? Are they afraid of children? Are they aggressive towards kids? These are all questions you need answered. So this way, when you hire a trainer, if you hire one, or just if you're working with the dog on your own, you know where to start. That was a big part of what I would do when I was working 
with people's dogs. I would go into their house and I would try and find out where the holes were. So this way I could fill those in in the training and also really rehabilitate the dog from the ground up. It doesn't do you any good to learn the same stuff if there are other holes. I believe in setting a really solid foundation. So part of that is making sure they have a good language with you. And part of that is making sure that you have kind of uncovered what holes exist early enough to start filling them in properly. Our next question is... Okay, so it says, Hi, Victoria. I was curious. I hear that you have a Newfoundland named Baldor, and after all these episodes, I'm very curious. What is your take on having a Newfoundland? Is this the first time you've had this breed? Do you like it? Why or why not? And would it make a good first breed? First of all, I'm gonna, my gut reaction is no, I don't think it's a great first breed, but I have good reasons for saying that, and I'll get to those in a second. That said, probably the best breed I've ever owned, short of a pit bull. I say that for a lot of reasons. I feel that they're very nurturing naturally. They, they're very loving. They are interactive. It's just a great breed, you know, and I consistently have seen this dog struggle with an immune deficiency and all of these issues. And he's just now too. And he, despite the fact that he was held back physically in a lot of ways through no fault of his own and through no fault of ours. I mean, we tried everything. You'll, I'm sure you know that if you've listened to the episodes, it can be a very high expense to raise a Newfoundland and not just because you have to groom them or whatever. Like I do a lot of my own grooming for my animals. I don't really send them to a groomer very often because I don't really like being without my dog. <laughs> you know, they have a longer coat. So the, the coat maintenance is daily. I mean, that's definite. So if you don't like brushing something a lot, then don't get this breed. If you have hopes of your house not having fur in it, this is not the breed for you. But that said, you'll find it somewhat endearing to see tumbleweeds of fur balls after a while because it'll just remind you of how cute they are. I can honestly say that without this dog, I probably would not have been able to handle the loss of my service dog. And while this dog is not in any way prepared for full service work. He's in training. We're doing our best. He may end up being a wash and I kind of expected him to be a full wash because he was so sick for so long. We missed a lot of opportunity for training, but he's so resilient that I'm not writing him off yet. I think that that's one of the things I really like about this breed. It's the same thing I liked about pits. You know, they really can do a 180, a very impressive 180. Now, Noofs, I, I feel like the other reason I don't think they're a first-time breed is they have big problems. So if you let something go, okay, it's cute when he's a 10-pound furball for all of a week, but when he's 90 pounds and he's knocking you over and everything you love is broken, it's not so cute anymore. And what I don't want is people to be obsessed with this breed and not really be ready to care for it. You know, they need a certain amount of exercise. They need to be in an area where they're not sweating because otherwise they get hot spots. They need regular maintenance. They need to be very well socialized. They really aren't spatially aware. So you, you kind of have to teach them to sit, stay, curl in a ball, you know, just useful behaviors because otherwise you're going to have a five foot rug at any given moment, just like laying there and they are somewhat stubborn. So they're not just going to move easily. There's like a, a running joke that if you tell a Newfoundland anything, you have to say it three times. So, and I've 
found this to be true. You know, here I am, a trainer and behaviorist, and I cannot, I really can't surpass this rule. <laughs> I've tried, I've gotten him down to two asks, but usually it's three. So with all of that in mind, I just think that you should have at least had a large breed before having this breed. Maybe you aren't used to the coat maintenance, but if you're not used to having a large breed and addressing things before they become a problem, these could be large problems and you'd never, I would hate to see an aggressive Newfoundland, like it's just not their nature, but if they're not well socialized and they don't have manners, that's exactly what's going to happen and they're gonna end up in a shelter. And this is a breed I don't advertise on purpose. I don't wanna see them overbred. You know, not that I'm the only one that could ever handle this breed, not by any stretch am I saying that, but what I am saying is this dog is probably, without even counting what I paid his breeder for him, Okay, we're probably about $7,000 in. Okay, if you're not willing to swallow that amount of money, because big dogs, big money, okay, if you're not willing to really financially commit to the lifetime of this dog on a large scale in some cases, just because they need specialized care, then I, I wouldn't recommend it. For those people who have had this as a first breed and love them, they already know what I'm saying is true. They're kind of like furry wrecking balls. They have the biggest hearts. They're kind of like giant nannies. I mean, I could not have picked a better breed to be around my son, but you have to have boundaries early just because of how large they get, because you're going, if you want to keep them for a lifetime, they just have to be well-mannered. You have to have structure because, uh, you know, they're great counter surfers. They're fantastic when it comes to problem solving. I have yet to meet a Newfoundland that can't find their way out of a crate. Uh, some don't bother, but a lot of them can figure their way out of a paper bag, if you know what I mean. So be careful because they're not dumb. They're very, very smart dogs and they like to work. So if they're not given enough to do, like mine's a service dog in training. So he's got, sh he's got stuff to accomplish in his day. But if he were just sitting home bored all by himself, I think that he might be a little bit destructive. That's definitely we s something we see in larger dogs who don't have an outlet. And I, I have seen that as they mature, which is very, uh, it's a lot slower than other breeds. So, you know, they don't stop growing until they're two and three years old. With that in mind, everything is a little delayed. So you're not going to potty train them necessarily as quickly as other breeds. Their, their bodies are physically developing. You know, you may not, you may get your basic obedience accomplished in your first year with them. And that would be amazing, but you know, they may not be able to focus only in on their job and their work until they're about two years old and a little bit more, more emotionally mature. So these are just things to be aware of. Now that all said, I, now that I've had a new fee, I will never live without one. I think it's a great breed. I think there are so many things I love about this breed. I feel that they connect. They're acutely aware of how their owners are feeling, which makes them almost ideal for service work. The drawback being, you know, they are a big dog and, you know, it's not easy to travel around with a big dog if you have a busy life. So there's things to, to consider there. Also, if they ever hit their chew phase, the destruction is real. So you have to definitely make sure that you're giving them appropriate things to chew on and you're giving them the socialization they need and you're not over-exercising them because they can actually end up with hip problems more from lifestyle change than from genetics. You know, while you do want their parents OFA tested and cleared, 
a lot of hip issues, hip dysplasia issues and, and back problems we find in large dogs are often related to lifestyle problems. Very, very often related to lifestyle problems. Being able to jump in and out of the bed, uh, in and out of a truck, you know, running too much, it just causes damage. So make sure you, you do your research on this breed. And if you do have one, you should definitely share some photos in the group. I think this should be our, our newfie week. At some point, I would really like to have Baldur's Breeder on because we have a very unique story of how I found her and I absolutely fell in love with her breeding program and she's a wonderful person. Her dogs are just magnificent. But we have a unique story because, you know, here I, I signed up for trying to get a service dog and while I'm still trying to essentially navigate to that end, it may not work out. And because of that, and because of all the health issues he had, we kind of washed him, right? So despite knowing all of this, I have only the highest respect for his breeder because I kept her in the loop every step of the way. Every time I was taking him for a test to find out what was wrong, every time I was trying to, you know overcome some of my own emotions, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't a struggle and that I didn't have questions in my mind if I could even keep this dog alive. And it wasn't anyone's fault. It's like I was feeding him the best food. I was giving him the best medical care. I was good with his schedule and it still wasn't, it didn't matter. But what did matter is keeping his breeder in the, in the loop allowed her to see what I was willing to do for this animal that she raised. And I think that's really important. I think it's important to value what your breeders have done. They don't do this just for money. And honestly, the money in it is not what you would think. Because when you actually care for these dogs, the return is not great. You end up spending a tremendous amount of money to make sure that the welfare of not only the adults, but the puppies and their long-term homes are good. You know, and for me, I knew... I loved this dog, but I just, the sicker he got, the less of a window we had to work with to make him into a service animal. While all of this was taking place, I had to kind of grieve the loss of losing my service dog, but, you know, Baldor has filled such a void in our family's heart that I couldn't live without him, you know, and the breeder understood that. So I would love to have her on at some point just to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a breeder, some of the misconceptions that are out there, and some of the things that, you know, her and I had to navigate as a new owner and her as somebody who had never run into some of the situations we had. You know, she didn't know what to do any more than I did. And it was a very humbling experience for me because here I was you know, with all the education and experience, and I still couldn't <laughs> flip this dog. I couldn't understand, like, what I was doing wrong. And, and it wasn't what I was doing wrong. It was just how it turned out. And some things are meant to humble us so that we understand that we are not miracle workers. I am not a miracle worker. I'm human. And here, here I am to tell you that with the best of care, training, food, some things are just... <sighs> Some things are just a marathon. Sometimes you just have to be patient 
and look at this as an 18-year haul, almost like a child. You know, you're in it. I'm not here to say that there are never situations in which you have to rehome an animal. I would not say that. But I am here to tell you that you are in. It's You should be committed to, for at least over a decade. If you're not willing to look down the road about 10 years and see that animal still by your side, it's probably not meant to be. You should probably not adopt it and you should probably not take it home. Also, if you don't have funds put aside, I wouldn't recommend it either. And I'm not saying that only rich people should have animals. I'm just saying the reality is my sister ran into a situation where with the best of intentions, she ended up with two, maybe $2,500 worth of debt of, you know, because of dog stuff. She wasn't signing up for that. It wasn't even her dog, you know, but if you love the animal, you do what you have to do when you have to do it. You know, $2,300 at a vet's office, I've seen that spent very easily. So you have to be ready for the pitfalls, <laughs> to open credit, you know? I mean, these are just things to be aware of. I think that people get really selfish and they want a puppy and they want all the snuggly phases, but they forget that this dog is going to age. This dog is going to need you. And sometimes they need you before they've even been able to live their lives, like through no fault of Baldur's own or his breeders. It's not like she bred this into him. This dog could not get well. He ended up immune deficient. It was not his fault. And I just had to stick it out. I couldn't fix it all, but I knew that the best I could do was give him the best life possible. I was not going to turn. I knew that the level of maintenance this dog would take would be draining to anyone. Because despite all of my experience with animals, I got tired. You know, I already have a child at home and it gets draining when you, it's like having two children. You know, one that's special needs and one that is just his age and needs all your attention. So be mindful of the big picture. You know, puppies don't stay puppies. They need training. And some of them get sick. You know, my dog had been properly vaccinated, still ended up with this horrible illness. And with every colleague and every favor I called in, it was quite an undertaking, specifically with Newfoundlands. <sighs> Big dog, big bills. I mean, it just isn't cheap. It's just not in an, in an inexpensive proposition. When you are going through a rescue or a breeder and you're going, I think that's excessive to pay for a dog. No, it's not. Because if you're not ready to spend that amount of money, you're not ready to own this specific breed. They're just between grooming expenses and vetting and the illnesses that they can end up with and you know, having to manage things with hydrotherapy. I mean, there, I could just list the reasons why this is a financially, you need to be financially independent and secure to have this breed. And you need to have the time of day for them because they're very, very connected to their owners. If you're going to be gone all day, all night, there's, it's just sad for the dog. It's not a breed where they should be ignored. They love to be with their people. In fact, I've shown, I've, I've seen in my own dog, despite the fact that he gets constant interaction, he has moments of depression. Despite the fact that he has everything he could possibly want, he gets exercise, he gets treats, he gets training, he gets me, he gets hugs, he gets kisses, he gets brushed. Sometimes this dog goes through emotional moments and I just give him extra love so that he knows that he's got that security with me. This is a highly emotional breed. With high emotions comes high intelligence. So it's great in that you can have almost a human relationship with this breed, but the drawbacks are strong. I mean, you they will self-mutilate if they feel ignored by their owners. They will try and scare off an owner that 
they don't like. And if they sense that their owner doesn't like someone, they will try and handle their business because they can be a guard, a somewhat protective guarder. Keep all of those things in mind. So even though I am pro Newfie, I just think that you need to do a lot of research. Probably contact the Newfoundland Club of America if you're considering this specific breed, so they can really educate you. Get around them. Find out what it's like to be around them. They're not just cute fluff balls. They are a lot of work. Sometimes all that work is worth it, and they may be the first breed that you want. They, they could be the breed that you've been looking for and longing for. I just would hope that you've had experience with dogs in the past and that you've successfully trained one. Not through fear, Okay, because these are emotional dogs. You have to be able to reach them in a kind way. Otherwise, they're going to end up depressed and possibly a huge anxiety case. So keep those things in mind. I want to thank everybody who's been listening and making the change with us to Podbean. Go ahead and click the follow button or subscribe. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a rating and review. I would love to read it. Last but not least, you can find us at the exclusive channel the subscription channel on patreon.com slash askyourdogguru. Lots of goodies there and ways to be involved with me and get some little goodies along the way. If you or someone you know might be interested in speaking with me on the show, you can email me at askdogguru at gmail.com. Oh, and before I forget, something very exciting. So if you guys would like a one-on-one session to speak with me, for a limited time, I'm actually offering for the level three tier subscribers, a one-on-one session with me. If you're interested in this, this is something that's not going to be offered very often. There's a limited amount of people that can get them. So hurry over before they're all taken. I wanna wish everybody a happy and healthy new year in 2020. I am eager to grow the show in a way that we've never seen before. So thank you for helping me do that. So that's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste.